Hi, and welcome to The Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist, and I'm the online editor at The Strad. How old were you when you started learning your instrument? Many people start when they're children, embarking on a long journey of music education from an early age. But there are plenty of musicians that discover a love of music later in life. Here to speak to me today is cellist Billy Tabenkin. If you've got your hands on a copy of our brand new June issue, you'll see an article where Billy shares his experience of beginning the cello at the age of 25. Now, almost 40, he works professionally as a cellist teaching adult beginners, as well as performing in the LA-based Catus Quartet. How did he start completely from scratch with no musical background at all? And what sort of mindset do adult beginners typically employ that differs from children? Have a listen to Billy's insights. Billy, welcome to the Strad Podcast. We're here today to talk about your article, which features in the June issue of the Strad, which, when this comes out, is now on sale. And it's called Never Too Late to Learn. And for those who haven't read the article yet, it's about your journey starting to learn the cello at the age of 25, uh, which is not Super typical. Me personally, I started learning the cello when I was seven, but perhaps not as efficiently as you. (laughs) So my first question is, you know, what were you doing before you decided to pick up the cello at age 25? Did you have much of a musical background before that? Yeah, you know, I actually didn't. I So I went to college like you do, and I got a degree in creative writing and I came home and I was working on creative writing. I was also doing freelance copy editing. And I had like this group of authors that I was really into at the time, uh, the modernist period, which is kind of like between the wars, especially in Europe, Joyce, Hemingway, Fitzgerald. I kept hearing, you know, allusions to classical music. I'd never listened to it. Aldous Huxley's book, Point Counterpoint, they talk very specifically in one of the chapters about the slow movement of Beethoven's Opus 132 in A minor. <laughs> There's something I'm missing here in the in the fiction. So I listened to it and that was like, what have I been doing right. not listening to classical music? This is amazing. So I was about 23 at the time and then I just started getting really into classical music. At 25, actually for my birthday, I decided okay, I want to learn an instrument because maybe as a creative writer, I'd like to write about it, about music, but I don't, I'd read articles like, I don't know what the key of C means. I don't know what any of this stuff means really. So let me just learn an instrument to kind of get on the inside so that I can write something I kind of understand. And then after like the fourth lesson, I was like completely obsessed. Yeah. So you you kind of ran away with it once you got started and you got hooked clearly. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to hear that you were into creative writing because for me, you know, I started off playing the cello and then my transition into working as online editor of the Strad came a lot later, you know, in my 30s. So it's a sort of reverse kind of thing. But I'm really interested to hear how different disciplines of life inform each other. So, you know, how much of your creative writing training do you think informs your cello training? I think a lot of it, actually. Part of being a creative writer, let me just say, is also, I think, reading widely and and kind of understanding the canon and kind of where whatever you're trying to do, it's good to know like what people in the past have done. So the music, you know, if you've read the poetry and fiction of the authors around the time of the composer you're, you know, you're working on, 
like a piece like Beethoven and you've, you've read Goethe and you maybe not in German for me, but you've read it in translation, at least it, it really informs the cultural mindset and helps situate the music within like the German mindset, in my opinion. And then also, I think as a creative writer for the music, my approach has always been to see music as like, you're trying to say something that's probably arguable, you know, but that's just how I kind of interpret it, what got me going about it. You know, if you see a, a sonata as like a narrative or a story, it's very similar to creative writing where it's pacing and putting emphasis in the right places and, and seeing kind of an overarching arc along with just taking care of the notes, trying to play in tune, all that stuff. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I would agree. I think, you know, music making and then writing, they are forms of communication. And for both of them, you're trying to tell a story. And I think the more that you digest of each discipline, like the more writing that you read and the more music that you learn and you listen to, you're kind of adding to your toolkit, aren't you? So that you're able to communicate further, whatever it is that you want to say. I wanted to ask you about finding freedom and not overthinking processes because that's one thing that really you made clear in your article is wanting to strive for as close as you could get to perfectionism really how do you teach this to your adult students now this balance between you know having an idea of a musical narrative that you want to portray but also you know balancing that with the technical side of things, the the fundamentals. This was actually not the case for me. I was kind of like a bull in a china shop when I started, which I think there were some really good qualities to that because I just, I wasn't super careful. I just like, just go, just try it, go for it. Like, I don't care. I'm shameless. A lot of the adults I teach are very much the other way where it's, I'm here to learn cello. Let me make sure I do this right. One of the biggest problems that adult learners are going to face is physical tension and I and and then just a general timidity because you're an adult you're already aware you have this difficult situation of having like a completely furnished mind with all this culture and you know you know you're starting cello now as an adult because you love the sound it makes and then you try to make the sound and it's god (laughs) it's just like yeah exactly so the instant reaction is to sort of pull back and like, okay, let's not worry about music. Let me just try to not like offend people with the sound I'm creating. And I think that's something I try early on with my students to discourage that kind of thinking. And it's like, even open strings day one, let's see if we can get a beautiful sound because ultimately if you're an adult and you're starting cello, you're there for the sound. And if you can even just on open strings make a beautiful sound early on, with limited technique, but you're just focused on the sound and and opening it up and having the instrument resonate, that will hopefully put away a little bit of that timidity and encourage you to link the sound you're making with what you want to hear. And that's now you're getting your brain and your hands and your ears, everything's kind of working together. I think that's super important. Do you find that with some adult students, they try to do a bit too much too soon. So in a way, by just focusing on open strings, you're able just to focus on one thing that they can get down really well. And then they can start thinking about the left hand. What sort of examples of pitfalls do you often find with these adults? I don't know if it's 
focusing on too much, but what I think is a focus on being correct, doing it correctly. Like I have textbook technique. This is exactly how this should look. Now, that being said, it's you want to focus on technique and I don't want to give the impression that it's like, I just like, okay, grab the bow, like saw away, open up. Okay, great. I, I totally focus on technique, but I think that's where I think it can get a little dangerous. At least the adults who I teach, who I deal with, they tend to be very intelligent people, very successful in their careers already. And there's going to be this rub of like being back at the starting line and being a beginner again. And if you can embrace it, it's super fun because you're just like, I'm like a kid. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. This is fun. Like I'm, I'm exploring. But for someone who's type A, used to control, I eat at this time. You know what I mean? I have a parking permit for a month. That's my spot. I park there. It's, it's just very different to be like, I don't know what I'm doing. And this is like one of those emotional things where it's like, if I make an ugly sound, like I'm ugly. Yeah, I'm a failure. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Oh, that's so hard, isn't it? Yeah, because I think a lot of these adults you have to remember that they're probably very high achievers in another aspect of their life. And for them, it's very humbling, I imagine, to learn an instrument right from the beginning again and be like, oh my God, I'm actually crap at something. Also, you probably have to be quite supportive. I mean, you mentioned the word emotional before, but you have to support them emotionally through this journey and find a way to not be too discouraging when things go wrong and sort of celebrate making mistakes, right? Oh, yeah. The thing that makes me super happy, if you make tons of progress, that's great. But if you're really putting in consistent effort, and I have students who like report back, we start up the lesson like, okay, here's what I found out this week. And then they talk straight for like five to 10 minutes about all these insights they had of their own plane. And I realized I'm holding this and all this. That to me is super exciting. It's also great when they make fast progress. And then I have some students, I had one adult student a while ago who was like, I'm just tired of hearing all this positive talk out of you. Just give it to me straight. And so part of it is just also the personality of the, of the student. And they're just like, I don't need you to like... Sugarcoat things. Yeah. 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 And I, I was like, okay, so let's try it that way. And he, he didn't like that other way as much because it's like, <laughs> you, want, <laughs> you want some positivity, trust me. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you, there's only so much you can just beat people down, right? right um, yeah. I don't, and, and they have to remember why they're doing it because, you know, as, as you mentioned before, they're probably there because of the sound. Fair enough. If they invite it and say, tell me how it is. And if the sound, quite frankly, is terrible, you do have to communicate that. But there is a balance as well and making sure also that there's a reason behind why they want that feedback. Yeah, I te what I say is like, I think you should consider yourself right now sort of like a scientist. And so what you're doing when you put in effort is you're collecting data. But a scientist, if the experiment doesn't work out... They're not like, I'm a failure, I hope. They're just like, here's new data. Okay, this didn't work. What about this is not working? What don't I like about the sound? Not just error, you know, you, you were terrible, that was bad. Yeah, taking it very personally. That's really interesting. I read an article recently about envy, and it was talking about how approaching envy can be a lot more constructive if instead of thinking like, you know, looking at someone's achievements and thinking, I wish I had that in my life. And instead, regarding it, as you say, as information, as 
data so that you can just think, okay, well, how can I use this to serve me? Maybe it's the motivation I need to get a little bit closer to my goals. I think it's being very realistic with goals. Would you agree? Yeah, I I do. I think realistic with what you can expect out of yourself, but then also I think in terms of long-term goals, that's where I usually encourage adults that I encounter to dream bigger than you would imagine. Because even if you don't hit that goal, by having a really high ceiling on what you're expecting, you're going to get further than being like, well, let's be realistic. I mean, I'm probably never going to do this. I'll probably never do that. And so you're just like left and right. You're just instantly closing these doors that you might get to. I said this to the first really high level teacher I got a chance to study with. It was like a sales pitch because I've, you know, I'm 27 and a half and I play like a eight-year-old and he's probably got eight-year-olds who play like 27-year-olds. It's a terrible situation. And I just said, like, I've got all the determination. I have a really good brain. (laughs) I have 10 fingers. I can do this. Just please help me do this. So I think having that kind of confidence of what you could achieve opens up doors, but then balancing that with, okay, but for this week, let's set realistic marks so that I don't get discouraged. Yeah, absolutely. The short, mid and long-term goals need to be mapped out. A lot of students run the danger of looking only at the long-term goals and not really thinking about the path and how are they going to get there. You know, it's like the carrot and the donkey, right? You're always chasing after a certain thing. But then you also don't want to get bogged down in the short term details either because you won't go anywhere, right? (laughs) Exactly. I think that's why I like to talk about sound so early with students and to encourage it in adult learners is that you can get that mentality of like, I don't even have a super comfortable bow hold yet. Like, how am I going to pull a rich sound? You know, you fixate on certain things and then suddenly even your your bow arm starts to warp because you're so obsessed with the fingers of your bow hand that you're not even thinking about the, the arm's role in sound production. With adults, I think that's especially dangerous of just, you think you're doing the right thing, but you're just fixating at the expense of all these other you know elements. God, it's hard. It must be hard. So it, just to sum up, so you started learning at 25. I'll be 40 in August. So it's been, it'll be, that'll be my I think 15 year anniversary. 15 years of learning the cello. So now you're teaching adults. Tell me what else you're doing with your skills as a cellist. Scene. And then I have with my wife, we started a string quartet called Katu's Quartet in 2017. We've kind of grown that into like a, a really nice business. So in terms of gigging and playing events, that's essentially the the majority of the events I do now is, is just with my string quartet. Yeah, and teaching. And then during the pandemic, I started an online course for beginners called Cello in 30 Days. And so that's been also, I kind of launched that last year and that's been going on. That's awesome. And it's like from someone who's done right. it. It gives you a special insight, doesn't it? I mean, for me, I can think back to when I was seven, eight years old. But I mean, it's going to be different from someone who did it fairly recently, I think. Really inspiring to hear your story. So we'll definitely point listeners to the direction of your article in the June issue. But Billy, thanks for being on the podcast today. Oh, it's my pleasure. It was a a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. That was Billy Tabankin. Right now you're listening to an excerpt of the third movement of Rachmaninoff's Cello Sonata, performed by Billy and pianist Taeyun Lim. The Strad June 2022 issue is out now, and you can check out Billy's article, It's Never Too Late, 
on our website in the show notes or head to our shop to get a copy. And don't forget to head to our website, thestrad.com, to check out the latest news, articles and reviews on all things to do with string playing. And if you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. We've got 50% off an online subscription for students, and if you're not sure you're ready to subscribe, take out a free trial for seven days, start reading right away with no strings attached. Also, if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a little review or a rating. Thanks for listening and tune in again soon for another episode. Take good care. Bye.